This podcast is presented by the Bet Parks online casino and sportsbook app. New customers download now and get up to $1,000 in casino bonus back if you're not a winner in your first 24 hours. See BetParks.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 in PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Michigan, or Ohio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult to Today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation semi annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal too. Schedule a no obligation in home estimate now. Call 866 90 Nation or visit windownation.com. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Howie, um, what went the decision to uh, release Daryl Worley? You know, um, all the decisions we make, we just try to do what's in the best interest of our team, gather as much information as possible, and uh, we felt like it was the right decision for the Philadelphia Eagles. Did you, um, I mean, do you feel like you guys did the proper uh, legwork before signing him and before making that trade in terms of of his background and and whether this could potentially happen? Yeah, we did do a lot of legwork on it. Um, It's hard to predict incidents like this, but we did... Um, do a lot of background on him and we had background in 2016 and again we just felt like going forward this was in the best interest of our football team. How you guys made that decision very quickly after it happened I think within 10 or 11 hours um, I, I guess that indicates that there was I mean there was really no question that this was the, the right way to go was there was there information that hasn't been made public that you guys were aware of that went into that? Yeah, this is an ongoing investigation. I'm not comfortable talking about any specifics other than we just thought this was in the best interest of our team to move forward for both parties. What's your overview right now of number 32 as far as what's going to be there without being specific? <laughs> I mean, the quality, the quality of players that, that are you're looking at right now. You know, well, I guess when you're picking any number you're picking, whether it's 14 last year or 32, you got to have 32 guys you'd be excited to take. And, Right now, we have 32 guys we'd be, we'd be fired up to get. Uh, you know, how it plays out, we'll find out. Joe, if, if, and I guess Howie has to answer this too, you obviously like to see maybe a few players at 32. Uh, and if none of those players are there, like any other case, if it's not there, if it's not the player you want, even though you like 32, do you want to try to get more picks? Uh, and move back, there still is that possibility, correct? I would say, Howard, overall, we're open for business. You know, um, We're open for business in every round. If we think it's something that makes sense for our team, we're going to do it. But at the same time, like Joe said, we're ready to pick. We've got 32 guys that we feel really good about. Um, we can't operate under the assumption that we're going to bail out, so um, you know, we're ready to roll. Howie, a talking point of, of yours this offseason has been looking at the 2019-2020 contracts, as as you put a draft plan together, are you looking at the down-the-road depth charts and maybe what needs will be 
beyond this season? Yeah, we are, Zach. And we're trying to put together not only the best team possible for this year, but also making sure we can contend for a, a long period of time here. And so um, we have we have been having those conversations about what it looks like in 19 and 20. Um, obviously, with our draft pack situation this year, seeing how we can maybe increase that total number amount um, in the years to come. Uh, and trying to keep as many players as we possibly can as well as we go through this offseason. How you, you guys have gotten very good at now, got to a point of what you're drafting for the future almost. You're not drafting to fill holes, immediate you know, need holes. Um, how would you get to that point? Even coming off the 7-9 team, you still were able to do that. How, do you, how does the team get to that point? That's what every team I think around the league wants to accomplish. Well, you, Jeff, I, I think we're looking for someone who, and we're looking, I think, for players throughout this draft who can come in and help the team. I mean, we're not sitting there uh, wherever we're drafting and just saying, hey, we're going to redshirt guys. Um, you know, we're excited about this draft because it gives us another opportunity to, to help our team on the field in 2018 as well. But um, I think it goes back to the philosophy uh, that we're going to try to draft the best players and we look to the draft as not just a short-term need for our team, but you know what's in the best long-term interest of the team. Oh, Maybe Joe, Joe could probably add to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, last year you guys took Sydney second round. I mean, you had the luxury to do that. Um, even though some may have thought that maybe you didn't with the cornerback position, but you were still willing to do it. Yeah, we're excited to get Sydney where we got him, and we're excited that he's going to be part of our defense moving forward. And you know, I think. Um, our uh, roster acquisition and improvement, you know, it's this, you know, the spotlight is really on this upcoming weekend and um, maybe a couple more times, but really it's a, it's a window of improvement that happens all throughout the year. And uh, I think you know, we, were, we were fortunate to build up some very good depth. It's one of the reasons why we were able to have are, success. Are there areas of need that you guys would like to address in the draft and, and if so, where, where do you see the possible needs arising? You know, I think you know, we're never going to be a team that drafts strictly for need. You know, we're always going to get the best player available. I know I said that a lot last year, but I, I really feel that way. <coughs> yeah. Follow-up to that, uh, do you guys see deeper positions in this class coming in, specific areas that this class is deep? Yeah, you know, um, what we may feel is deep, a, a certain position, there, there's probably teams that may not agree with us. Um, you know, I think throughout this draft, there's, there's good players. And I think you saw last year, um, we were able to get guys that helped us not only during the draft, but after the draft. And so uh, you know, we're, we feel good about every round uh, in every position as far as depth. How, are you, how important is it to kind of read the draft? And uh, in other words, like you've been in situations before, you, you know, you, knowing where a guy might go, and you know, if you, if you have like a second round grade on him, but you know you can get him in the third round. Do you wait to the third? It's, it's burned you before, but it's, it's also helped you before. Where you being able to get two for one, kind of. Yeah, I think it, it, there's a balance in that. You know, you want to get the players that you have high grades on, and you don't want to get in a situation where you're waiting too long, and then all of a sudden you lose someone you feel strongly about. And um, you know, there are times that we could probably both point to that it worked, and you end up getting an extra pick and an extra player. 
and then you know leaving the draft room on that same night and you know having this regret having this knot in your stomach because you try to get too cute so um we balance all of that uh, but at the end of the day i think it's important like joe said our draft board is going to be different than 31 other teams and what we see and what we like isn't going to be the same um so we just got to stick to that and stick to our process and take players that we feel really good about speaking of waiting when you talk about 32 and then 130 that's as poor a position as you've had in like 40 years in terms of getting people in the first you know, three or four rounds of the draft. You're not, you, you really emphasize the draft a lot. How hard is this going to be for you if you can't add picks and, you know? 40 years, 58 years less. There's a lot of things that are being broken this year. That's true. Yeah. Um, so I think that we, we're not sitting here going, um, <laughs> though we did in the fall a little bit. We're not sitting here going, hey, we're, we're sitting out on Friday. We're going through our draft process and um, seeing scenarios. And when we get to Friday, we get to Friday. But we got a long way to go before we get to Friday. So um, as exciting and as encouraging as that information is, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll wait until we get in front of you. Do it. you have to remind yourself that, okay, we wouldn't, we got Ajayi, we got Wentz. You know, you have to kind of like remind yourself, okay, we wouldn't have won the Super Bowl if, I had, if we hadn't given up these, these picks. and just to kind of calm yourself down, especially on that second day when you're sitting around? Yeah, I think that the balance and some of the discussions we had during the season were, you know, the pains of potentially sitting out Friday versus the pains of potentially having some disappointing Sundays. And, you know, for our team, for our fans, um, we thought that we had to do whatever it took to give us the opportunity to win each Sunday. So we made these trades also with guys that weren't necessarily just here for one year. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier, especially when you look at Joe and his staff you know, all the time that they put in to sit there on Friday and, you know, um, potentially have a golf outing. You know, that's, <laughs> not, that's not great. You know, we could look at it as kind of a woe is me. We choose not to keep the glass half full because we're excited that we have five picks on Saturday as it stands right now. And when you look at the Super Bowl, uh, there's 22 starters that were third-round picks or lower. And of those 22, 18 of them were fourth-round picks or lower. So 18 starters in the Super Bowl this year that were fourth-round picks or lower, including six of them that were undrafted free agents. So you know, we choose to keep the glass half full. How, how volatile do you think the first round great is going to be? Right. Yeah. How volatile do you, both you guys, do you think the first round is going to be with the, the talk about the quarterbacks and teams wanting to move up? And, and, and what, what, what could that do to the first round? I think I think there's always volatility in the first round. You just don't always predict it, you know. Um, you know, I don't think that we had it predicted that three wide receivers were going to go in the top ten, but that's what happened last year. So um, there's always something that's going to not go exactly as you plan. As a as a follow up to what you said uh, a, a, a few moments ago, is the undrafted market a, a greater emphasis this year, given the lack of draft picks and the lack of high end draft picks you have? You know, you would think because we're coming off a Super Bowl and we don't have a second and third round pick that we would be able, it, it would be a lot easier after the draft. But, um, you know, my experience early coming off a Super Bowl, it's, it's sometimes harder to get guys to commit to your roster because agents and players have a perceived uh, notion that it's going to be that much tougher to make your team. And so I, I think last year, that's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for us, and we know it, and we're going to attack it. And I think our guys are going to do a great job recruiting these, these, these guys that slipped through the cracks like we did last year. 
um, but but it is going to be a challenge because there, there's probably some guys who think that they got a tougher shot at making a team. Howie, I think you had mentioned last year uh, when you were going into uh, the last draft class that you said that the defensive tackles were uh, a really big you know depth of the group, and you guys kind of missed out on some of that because of how the draft went out. Is that how you felt? Kind of this year with any particular position from, from last year you guys had missed out on? I think when we got together after the draft last year, um, you know, the running back class that we thought was really strong going in, we thought that maybe there would be an opportunity that we'd get one of those running backs, um, you know, maybe a different guy than Pump. Um, but we went and um, as a staff attacked it with getting LeGarrette, who had a great year and uh, was a really huge part of our team and then making the trade at the trade deadline again, Jay. So, you know, I, I go back to what Joe said at the beginning. Uh, I think the maybe the perception is the draft is the last time you have a huge opportunity to improve your football team. And what we've committed is that we're going to attack it in the draft. We're going to attack it in June. We're going to attack it in August. We're going to attack it at the trade deadline. And um, after the trade deadline, it's hard to do, but this is not the end of talent acquisition season. Um, it's really stand, just starting. Sorry, yeah. What stands out about this year's running back class? You know, it's uh, there's. I think running backs. The last few drafts, you've been able to see guys contribute every at every part of the draft. I mean, you think about third round picks. You know, guys like David Johnson, Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara. You know, those those guys weren't the first first second round picks. So, you know about running backs. I mean, that was coming all out of the draft and how I just touched on it, coming out of the draft. Everyone thought last year, you know, we, we needed to get a guy high. We ended up address, addressing it, uh, acquiring one player in the draft, another player after the draft, and then two more veterans after the draft. So um, I think there's a lot of different ways you can get running backs. Can, follow, running can, backs. can I just follow up on that, uh, on, the, on the running backs? Because of that and because of the short shelf life of running backs, do you kind of – prefer not taking them in, in the first round philosophically, or is that something you, you're open to, just generally speaking, both of you? No, I mean, great running backs are difference makers. You know, we, we see that in today's NFL, um, especially guys that can come out of the backfield and, and hurt you in the pass game. So, no, I mean, if it's the right player, uh, I don't think we're opposed to taking the running backs at, at any point. When you're evaluating, <laughs> yeah. uh, when you're evaluating running backs, like you look at a guy like Corey Clement who was not asked to block, in college, and that did it for you guys. Do you care less about blocking for running backs and, and tight ends because it's more of a, a, a taught trait or a, a trait in the NFL as opposed to? We, we care about pass protection. That's an important part of what we're trying to do here. You know, our coaches have to have faith that guys can protect our quarterback, or they're not going to put them in the game. So, um, you know, the the willingness, the attitude. Uh, we're very fortunate with our offense coaching staff. But also with our running back coach and assistant head coach and Deuce Staley, and um, you know he he's someone we rely on a lot. And um, when you talk about Corey and the attitude and the willingness, and um, he has all those traits. And, and the other question on Corey was his ability to catch the ball. And um, you saw he was our third down back in the Super Bowl, and obviously made a great catch. So um, it, it's important for their their ability to protect. To follow up on that too, I mean uh, we've seen tight end. The, the position and how it's being evaluated change over the last decade or so. I mean, some of the best athletes now in the field are, are tight ends. I mean, you've always had some of those, but it seems like more so now. What are you looking for now when, when you're 
at that position when you're sitting there and, and, and watching, you know, some of the better ones and even some of the guys later in the rounds? I mean, ultimately you're looking for, for smart, tough playmakers, you know, at, at any position. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we, we, we look at, at that specifically at that position is how they're going to come in and fit, fit in with our quarterback, fit in with our line. It's a bit of a hybrid position. You know, and you're, you're right. I mean, the position has changed. Used to be guys like Tony Gonzalez and Jimmy Graham were the exception and not the, not the norm. And now that position's kind of drifted. Guys like that are more the norm now. How much regarding tight ends? I mean, not, not a lot of those guys. Maybe Hurst is, is a decent blocker. The other guys just didn't, weren't asked to do a lot of it, <coughs> kind of just get in the way. Uh, when you look at a tight end, I mean, do you, do you look at, well, we can teach him how to do that and, 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 and being able to catch the ball and get open is, is much more important? I mean, how do you look at tight ends in this offense? Yeah, I mean, a guy, you can, you can teach a guy so much. I mean, he's got to want to do it, you know, as far as blocking. I mean, he's got to want to do it. So uh, um, I, we have a great staff. You know, we have, Justin Peel does a great job with, with our tight ends. And, you know, Coach Grove can do a great job, and Doug does a great job with our offense. So, um, just evaluating players in general, um, uh, not just the tight ends. Is that, is that process kind of been changed, refined over the years just since you've been in it and um, you do it a, a little differently? Any kind of examples? Uh, you weigh things differently now more? The interview process more and <coughs> maybe less on the combine, that kind of thing? I think in general, I think scouting has gone more into like almost private investigation as far as what, what, what guys do. Um, you try to gather as much information as you can on, on a player. And then uh, you know, determine whether or not you know this certain person at any position is a fit with what you're trying to do culture-wise. When you took Carson a couple of years ago, you were comfortable with him potentially being inactive even on game days. His first year, obviously, didn't go down that way. But when you look at the tackle position this year, as long as Peters, Lane, and Bigby stay healthy, if you took one early, probably be inactive on game day. Is that something you'd be comfortable doing with the first-round pick? Yeah, I mean, last year we took a second-round pick that we really believe wouldn't play in a game. And um, I'm really excited that Sydney got that opportunity in the Dallas game just to get his feet wet and play in front of our fans. But uh, we're going we're gonna to take the best player, and if that player is at a position that we have some perceived depth, that's okay because at the end of the day, these guys are signing five-year deals in the, in the first round. They're going to be part of your team for the next five years. And I have no idea what we're going to need in 2019, let alone 2020, 2021. So um, a lot of times when you make those decisions and you get a guy that you think may not play, uh, you need the depth in this league. And we showed it last year. I mean, uh, how many guys that came up and next man up philosophy that Coach Peterson has ended up being huge con con contributors for us. So um, that won't be a factor in who we pick at 32. Joe, we Joe you guys showed a lot of interest in small school guys. It's, there's a lot of projection with that. So how do you go about projecting, you know, a small school guy to have success at this level? Yeah, that's a good question, Tron. Um, it helps when a guy, small school guy, gets an opportunity to play in an all-star game. You know, whether it's the East-West, whether it's an NFLPA game in California or a senior bowl. That way you can kind of compare apples to apples, you know. Um, but the first thing you're looking for for a small school guy is, is he going to dominate? at the current level that he's playing. 
And then from there, I mean, our, our scouts do a great job. You know, Andy Weidel, Anthony Patchy, Cunningham, all of our, our scouts do a great job of going in to the schools, building relationships with the sources, and determine whether a guy's going to be a good fit. You know, whether he's going to be able to respond to adversity because he's going to, he's going from being a, uh, a, a big fish in a small pond to going into the NFL and playing against. You know, what do you have against the Dream Bowl, Joe? The Dream Bowl. What do you have against that? Though? I don't know. We, we did talk about a player from the Dream Bowl. Yeah, that's that's my, my fault. We're out in December meetings in LA. Uh, we didn't have a representative there, but uh, we were able to get video of it. How would you get that that you, that you think are easier to project from a small school? No, I mean I, I've I think been able to see almost every position come out of a small school and have success, whether it's quarterback, D line, linebacker. Tight end. Um, and I think I think there's multiple positions that have come out from small schools and had good NFL careers. How, how much, you how much you get out of the, the trade market to be active um, during the draft? We saw it was at the beginning of free agency. Is are things already starting to start up? For sure. Um, you know, the next week is when we get a chance to talk, try to talk to every team in the league. And so uh, I'm sure you'll see a lot of reports coming out. This team's talking to this team. But that's our, that's our job is to figure out, hey, if we're at 32 and we want to move up or we want to move back, who are the teams that are anxious to do that? Um, I, I think it will continue to be that way. I think people understand that um, if they want something in this league, they're going to go get it. Um, and the flip side is that if they feel like they have a need to get more picks or they need surplus, to make those calls in advance help so that when you're on the the clock, you're not. It's, it's very hard when you're on the clock to sit there and, and dial all these teams and figure out or to take all the calls. So by doing this now, you set yourself up in advance to have a short list of conversations when you're on the clock um, or another team's on the clock about your interest. So you, it helps the preparation. Did you think that you were going to get a lot of calls about cornerback because, because you had uh, a surplus there, but now maybe not so as much because you had a release of player? Who says we haven't gotten calls? Oh, I know. I'm saying, do you imagine that maybe there'll be left, there fewer calls, like ones where they actually want to deal for a cornerback, one of your cornerbacks? I haven't imagined the scenario yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to. Sure, I'm just going to say, get out of the local pro day. I think we've talked about that a little bit. Um, and, and with some of the guys in there last year, but was court, you know, you t I guess you could get a guy like uh, Corey Clement in there. Was he in there last year? Yeah, so the local pro day, we, we, we were able to have it. And, Casey Weidel ran it to perfection, or we had a great group of players. You know, it was and it wasn't an open tryout. I mean, these are guys that someone in our organization really liked, and uh, those guys went out there. They competed, and Doug was out there and coached him up, and it was good for him to get out of the field. He had a blast, so uh, it was a great day, and, and, and a lot of guys helped themselves. Joe, when you look at your safety roster, can you can you assess that? Is there enough there? You know, Jenkins, McLeod, Maragos, maybe Trey Sullivan. And then, yeah. secondly, what's your view of the safety position in this draft? Is there depth there, or is it kind of top-heavy? Right. Um, you know, say, safety, we feel really good about where we are safety-wise. feel like we have two of the best safeties in the league, and, uh, um, you know, Rodney and Malcolm. And then, you know, for you guys who saw the preseason, um, some of the things that Trey Sullivan did uh, physically, you know, with, with, his, with his mentality and physicality, uh, they were impressive. Uh, he had a little bit of an injury at the end of the preseason, and we were able to get him back on the practice squad. And by the end of the season and in the playoffs, he's moving around well. So excited to see him and 
Amerigos, his leadership is, is unmatched. And um, it was great, you know, I, I know Doug and Howie and even Jeffrey have touched on it, but the guys that, that went down during the season and how, you know, we've been around a lot of teams where those guys kind of disappear, right? And you don't really see them again. And all those guys are back and they're out. And Jason Peters is, is helping with Big V. And Marigos is giving, you know, great, you know, one of the best speeches before the playoffs that we heard. And, you know, to have those, that kind of leadership, you know, just come back and, and come back and help the team, even though they're not playing. So unselfish and, you know, just so happy to have Chris in the fold. Um, but, you know, as far as the draft, the safeties in the draft, and we, we feel good about um, the depth of the safety position in the draft, but you know, like I said, there's a lot of there's a lot of positions that, that can help us in the just, just kind of piggyback on that point. I mean, I think one of the things you, that keep us up at night is complacency when when you have the success we've had, and when you have that group of guys, leaders on our team who have this chip on their shoulder, who um, have been working their ass off to get back and have this determination. And I know you guys met some of them this week. I mean, those are one of the things that have been a huge part of kind of the drive as we get into 2018, and it's a great tribute to them and their character. How much do you guys talk about, uh, obviously you build a really strong culture and chemistry in the locker room and in the franchise. How much do you talk about fit when you look at these players um, who are draft eligible, um, not just their talent, their speed, but how they're going to fit into this locker room? Yeah, I think that's... Um, one of the conversations that we probably have the most and it's um, you know backgrounds really important um, and then you know we we've had some we've had some guys who've come here who maybe had a reputation and have fit in really well and um, you know there's also the flip side of that so you try to balance all of those and um, you know I really rely on coach Peterson and his leadership council and the ownership he gives them and we talk to our players about a lot of things we talk to them about guys that we're going to potentially bring in. We try to pick their brain. Um, Joe set up a, a, a matrix. I just really wanted to use the, the word matrix. The cohabitation matrix. I want to use yeah, that word. Jake named it, though. Yeah. It was a pretty good name. Yeah, Jake, you can use yeah. matrix. And Jake Rosenberg and Joe Douglas. And, yeah. yeah. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. So um, we, we really... Uh, it's not. It's not perfect, and you know I, I accept responsibility for the mistakes we've made on, on bringing guys in. Because at the end of the day, that's on me. But um, we we try to get a lot of information, and then also talk to our players. So a lot of these moves that we've made in the last two years, we've talked to our players before we even finish the trade, and that's probably you know not the norm in the National Football League. But that that's really uh, from the leadership of Coach Peterson and what he wants us to do. In, in a typical year, how many first round grades do you give out? Um, you know, that's a good question, and I, I think I touched on a little bit last year. Our grading scale isn't really round based. You know, it's more how this how this person comes in and fits with our team. To kind of piggyback on the question Ruben asked, like, and fit is a is a big thing we discuss in those draft meetings and you know chemistry. It's it's a little bit. It's a hard thing to quantify, right? It's not. It's not an objective thing. It's a little bit more subjective. But you know it when you got it. And you know, I think we had it last year. We're trying to add to it. I, I guess a, a better way to ask that is, as you've studied past drafts, how much different is the thirty-second pick from a mid-second round pick compared to say a mid-first round pick to the thirty-second pick? Yeah. You know, just just studying it. I mean, obviously, there's been more success in the top half of the first round. As far as drafting those guys, um, you know, but I think if you go back and look at last year, 
specifically last year, you're going to find a lot of a lot of hits in in the late first, early second. So it it, it changed. It varies year to year. When you were with with Ozzy, I mean, he had some pretty impressive success with late first round picks. I mean. Grubbs was, a, I think, the 27th pick. Todd Heap was the 31st. Ed Reed was like 24. What, I mean, how did he approach uh, drafts when he had a, you know, when he was drafting late? Uh, were any of those like move ups uh, that you recall? Or did he just sit there and wait and take the best guy on the board? Ozzy, uh, Ozzy's patient. You know, Ozzy's, you know. Ozzie Newsom was a Hall of Famer for the Cleveland Browns and should be a Hall of Famer for the Baltimore Ravens as a GM. And um, great, he's uh, he's the absolute best. And you know, just the two, his first two picks and first ballot Hall of Famers, and you know, um, he, he was able to have great success in, in the twenties. And um, those those players you specifically named, they were not they were not move up and move down guys. Those were guys that we. That uh, Ozzy was patient and he let the board come to him, and um, some of those picks were met with greater fanfare than others. You know, so. What's the I'd, I'd say just uh, you know the amount of respect that we have for Ozzy in our building, and um, Joe touched on it, and how many times we we go and ask those same questions about him and what he's done, and um, you know, had what an unbelievable career. And as, as we kind of approach his last draft, I mean, it, it's just amazing to think about his run of success, you know, in the NFL as a player and a, and a GM. Hey, Howie, just in general, the difference between 32 and 33 and that fifth-year option, how, how valuable does that make that pick as, as opposed to the first pick in the second round? You know, it's interesting when you look at the options, it's really position-based. So there are certain positions that that option is a great value. And um, there are other positions where you look at it and it, there's a question whether you'd rather have, you know, a fourth year and do a long-term deal because when you have that fifth-year option, sometimes it complicates that fifth year of the deal. So um, when you're getting a position and you look at the numbers based on what the option year is projected to be, there's some incredible values by having the fifth year of the deal. And um, I think that's why you see teams that are jumping from the second to the first round because everyone's aware of those discussions. You know, the same discussions are happening when you're talking about jumping into the top 10 versus picking 11 um, and the fifth year option on that. So, um, you know, I, I think that's why um, we see all these trades happen, not only at the top of the draft, but also when you're getting into um, that later range because teams want to jump in and make sure that they have the guy locked under contract. When, when you guys, you know, look at teams that make the playoffs every year, like, you know, your Green Bay's, Pittsburgh's, New England's and stuff, they're always drafting at the end, towards the end of the first round, and still, you know, winning and everything. Like, how, how difficult is that to kind of sustain that while drafting at the end of the first round, which obviously you guys would like to do? Yeah, that, that's the goal, hopefully to be picking. <laughs> You know, in the late 20s and early 30s, and uh, a lot of those teams you, you mentioned, it, it helps to have a, a quarterback, which those teams do, and that, that's the basis of the sustained success. But you know, just I think I think the mo the most important thing that the, the thing that those teams have done is that they have their culture, they know the people that fit in it, and they they go out and acquire those guys. Joe, you mentioned that uh, scouting has become kind of like private investigating, I guess. 
looking. Yeah, part of it. Yeah. Right. But more so, more so than in the past. Yeah, but I'd to look into fit. I'm, I'm wondering if there's, if you have a philosophy on why it's trended that way. Uh, is it something about the current environment? Well, I mean, these are million-dollar decisions, right? And so, um, you know, maybe some teams just uh, want to be more cost-conscious instead of hiring an outside firm. They they train their train their scouts to go in and really dig, and uh, use techniques to interview people and get get the 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 most in information in, in the most efficient way and um, you know we we teach our guys how to build relationships in schools and figure out who the, who the guys are that are going to give you the best information and you know how, how to get information outside of the school and so um, you know I think te teams teams don't want to get burned they, they don't want to they don't want to bring in someone well we thought this was a great kid and he ended up being a, a major distraction can you, so, I think can the, you I think the other part of it also is that maybe ten years ago you everyone had such different boards. So guys that maybe you thought were a sleeper in the fourth or fifth round, maybe other teams hadn't done as much work. But because of social media and the internet, the the group of players now the grades are gonna be different, but the group of players everyone's looking at are more similar than they were ten years ago. So where can you get an edge? And you can get an edge by doing the things that Joe's talking about. And um, we're very fortunate. Not only do we have a great group of scouts, but again, you know, we've heard us say a lot. You know, Dom DeSandro is the best in the business at what he does, and he does a great job. If we have questions on a guy, it's about him digging and, and finding out and asking the right questions too. So, you know, and that, and then the the collaboration between the scouts and our security department, which is really one guy. <laughs> you mentioned the cohabitation matrix. Can you kind of expand on I mean, in 25 words, you brought it up. <laughs> I mean, just the essence of what it does. It's basically like if, if Joe was with someone before we signed that player, we're going to make sure that we ask Joe everything about that player. How he was in the building, how he was outside the building, how he worked, how he learned. It's, it's an edge. So when you have people who are in different places, you know, sometimes in the past you go and you sign a guy and all of a sudden a coach will go, hey, two stops ago I was with that guy in Buffalo, and you'll go. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that ensures that we're, we're getting all the information and um, we have it kind of. You still get guys van grades? Uh, yeah, the van grade. The van grade is, is carried over. Um, you know, I forgot I talked about that last year, right? Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's one of the things we do on our top 30 visits. So anytime when, when guys come in mm -hmm. for visits or workouts. Because um, they don't have, know they're on the clock. And we have a van grade. Yeah. To get back on the, um, just uh, the how scouting has changed a little bit. Um, so does that change how you evaluate scouts and how they can get in, uh, you know, not just a guy who can look at film and tell you whether he's good or not, but also a guy who can become, like, in essence, an investigative reporter. Do you, I mean, does that come part of the interview process and these scouts that you're hiring? What's that? Is there a good example of someone that you that you hired? You're like, wow, this guy's an ace at uh, he'll be working for the New York Times. We're trying. We're trying. We're really Jeff, trying, trying to get trying a job. Yeah. 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 That's the question here. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Let's do the cohabitation matrix on Jeff. So we ultimately want a guy. Less, less, less. You're next. A well-rounded scout. That can, you know, because when I first started on the road, it, it was probably half, half investigation, half evaluation. You know, you ultimately, you want scouts that can 
pinpoint great players, you know, players that can help the Philadelphia Eagles win. You know, that that's that's job one, you know, and then uh, you also want guys that can go into schools and get good information. So you, you want it well-rounded. You mentioned the amount of money invested in this. With the players, do you see more than years ago guys who maybe aren't quite as dedicated, but they've been told they can make a lot of money doing this? You know, is that something you kind of have to weed out in your process? Right. I mean, you, I talked a little bit about last year. I mean, ultimately, you you want to have a team full of guys that love this game, and there you know the, there is no plan B. You know, it's it's football or, or nothing. And so those are. Those are the kind of those are the type of guys I tend to gravitate towards. But uh, yeah, love of the game, it's it's paramount. As as you view local prospects, is there any reluctance uh, because of the potential distractions that come with playing in their hometown? Is that something to factor into consideration? It's something that we talk about in draft meetings. You know, wh whether whether a certain player is going to be mature enough to handle uh, the hands out or you know the distractions that come with. Playing, playing their hometown, especially here. See what he's doing here. See what he's doing. That wasn't as a word. It ties into Daryl, but there's obviously a lot of high-level players this year from the right. Philadelphia area. Right. So as you look at, at, at those guys, does it require an extra level of investigation, for lack of a better word? Yeah, no, it's, it's something that, that our scouts are keenly aware of and something we talk about in the draft. Meeting. I think the flip side to that, too, is you know we get better information in Philadelphia than we do in other places. I, I think you mentioned this before. Most of the time. <laughs> but, uh, one more. Uh, but how much due diligence, due diligence do you do on the guys? That, like, you're obviously not going to draft the high-level quarterbacks. You're not in the market for these guys. But you have to know them all. Yeah, yeah I mean, we... I don't know. Do you know that? Yeah, I mean, we go, we go into. That's fun. I mean, our guys, our guy, our, our scouts are so passionate. We're, regardless of whether, you know, we're deep at a certain position or not. I mean, they, if they're passionate about a guy, it could be quarterback. I mean, and and I love hearing them bring uh, talk about him, and we're going to talk about him in the in the draft meeting. You know, and like and you know, the other position. part about that is like when we have draft meetings, Jeffrey, Doug, they want to know about the quarterbacks. I mean, it's not like we just skip over. A position that we have a need out. I mean, we, we spend as much time talking about them as any other position, and um, you know, you, you just you, you gotta be prepared for any eventuality.